scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark. I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. And if you're using the blue Bibles and the chairs, it's on page 1551. We're going to start at the very beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 8. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to see him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. So last week we were, uh, we were, we had a really cool opportunity to share with you guys um, our production of Godspell. Uh, and it was a challenge um, because, uh, well, uh, there are a few members of the cast that had been in plays before, but otherwise we had not many people that had ever really been in a play before, let alone a musical, and all that that entails. Um, And so it was a challenge. Um, And I was blessed uh, to to be able to lead and and get people ready for this this crazy challenge. Um, And they were terrified, absolutely mortified. Um, And I probably didn't help that um, because my my speech to them before <laughs> before we would uh, perform was this: Are you nervous? And they would go, Yeah. There were a couple like that said no, and I was like, I don't believe you. Um, I said, Are you nervous? And they're like, Yeah. And I was like, Good, good. You should be, um, because in theater, when you're nervous, that that nervous energy uh, can become energy in your acting. And so it was. It was, just, it was just a fun experience for me uh, to be on the other side. I've been in many plays and musicals, um, and I'm always usually the one that's backstage, like, tapping the leg and twiddling the thumb and being super nervous, and then the director comes in and be like, yo, it's all going to be okay, right? Um, it was interesting to be on the other side of it, and I really enjoyed it. I was blessed. Um, I learned a lot. Um, so this week, uh, during our message, so the three of us are going to take turns, and we're going to talk about um, a song from the play. Um, I'm going to talk about a song from the play and a character. Um, so the song that I wanted to highlight this morning uh, it was Prepare Ye the Way of the Lord, the opening song of the play, which, uh, fittingly, my father... Um, played uh, John the Baptist in our production of, of God's Spell. Yes, yes, yes. He did a, he did a, he did a wonderful job. Um, and 
That was also another, it was kind of a fun and interesting like role reversal thing, like me being the director and then having to direct and lead my father who has told me what to do my whole life. Um, it's, it was a little different, uh, but we, we, we did it. We, we figured it out. So um, the song, <laughs> the song has seven words in it, total. It's the opening of the song, of the play. It's big, right? But it has seven total words. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Okay? And that's it. It repeats that 16 times. 16 times it repeats the same seven words. And then Greg says, hey, you're going to preach the next Sunday for 10 minutes. And I'm like, Hmm, how can I make this as difficult as possible for myself? I'll choose the song that has seven words and try to make a sermon out of that. What actually, to me, is one of the more powerful songs um, in the play because seven, wor- seven words says so much. Because um, when I hear the phrase, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, I think, well, how, how could... Let's see, how could, how could, how possibly, what could possibly get in the way of the Lord? How, how is our um, omnipowerful God, all-powerful God, what's obstructing his way? What needs preparation, right? If you want something to happen, it's going to happen. So, so what's the preparation for So, I want to clarify that, yes, uh, first of all, God does not need his plan to be prepared. He is sovereign and all-powerful, okay? No, the, the prepare the way for the Lord is for us. It's for us. It's, it's in our hearts, right? It's to prepare our hearts for the Lord to enter in and change our lives, right? It means we have to be open to him. And in doing so, we also change the lives of the others or of others around us. Uh, we're, we're then supposed to point the way and lead others towards the glory of God and his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, a really good image, and, I, and I, missed, I missed this part that I wanted to talk about in first service, but a really good image of this when I, when I think about this is Palm Sunday. We have Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and... The kids and the people of the town are laying coats out and palm fronds out, preparing the way for the Lord, right? But what does that do? What are they, what are they really doing, right? They're putting all the attention, praise, and glory on Jesus as he walks in because this is his time, his moment, right, of what he's eventually going to do later in that week. So, the other thing I want to highlight, because I've only got 10 minutes, is the example set by John the Baptist in this, in this sense of humility, this sense of getting out of the way so that we can prepare the way, right? Because the glory is not on us. The glory is, is, 
is never supposed to be on us. The attention is never supposed to be on us. When we share the gospel, as like I am doing now, but also as you do in one-on-one conversations with people, the attention is not on you, right? The focus is not on you. The glory is not on you. You can say, of course, this is how Jesus Christ has changed my life. But what we really got to focus on is this is how Jesus Christ is going to change your life. Right? So John the Baptist sets a really, really great example of this. Um, He's constantly trying to deflect attention and glory off of himself. Right? He is a humble man. Uh, And in his humility, he's also kind of described as a little weird. He wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He's sort of an eccentric, kind of strange guy. Um, Totally fitting that my dad played him. Um, Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, No, but he's humble. He's a humble guy. Right, And this is what we're called to be. This is exactly what Jesus Christ later, later preaches on in his ministry. He deflects attention and glory off of himself and onto Christ. In verse 7, it says, and this was his message, After me will come one who is more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He did it in humility, despite despite the attention and praise he was probably receiving because his ministry was getting attention. In verse 5, it says, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. His ministry was receiving attention and People probably were looking up to him, and yet he had to find a way to deflect that glory, deflect that attention, and reflect the love of Christ, right? And this is not easy to do when hordes of people are coming and responding to your ministry, right? When people are giving you praise, not to mention his role in preparing the way for Jesus Christ was prophesied long ago in the book of Isaiah, right? He was the person called to introduce the message of Christ and prepare his ministry on earth, right? This is set aside, uh, set, um, set ahead of him. He's, he was supposed to do this from the beginning. This was the purpose. This was his ministry, right? Think about the pressure that he may have felt, Right? This is my job. I am standing here telling you about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, before he's here. Okay. Well, actually, now that I think about it, this is kind of what we're supposed to do still, right? Because Jesus, like we sung about this morning, the King is coming again. Right? We are all called to be like John the Baptist in this way. Right? We are preparing the way for the Lord. We are called to be the people who introduce the message of Christ to others and prepare 
Christ's ministry in their life. And this is where I come to calling. Um, and I, and I want to just briefly mention, uh, to anybody who doesn't know, this, this will probably be the last time I'm up here preaching in front of you guys for, for a while. Um, I am planning on moving away uh, out of my parents' house, um, not because my parents are oh so bad to me. In fact, they've been really great to me in, in my young adulthood. No, it's just time. I'm, 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 I'm wanting uh, I'm needing to be in my own space. Um, and so I will probably uh, head down the hill um, and uh, hopefully find a job in ministry somewhere, because that's my calling, um, and finish school at the same time. So that's me. Uh, that's where my life is right now. And it will probably be the last time um, I am up here for a while. Um, and... Something that has really burned on my heart um, in the last three years that I have been the intern um, is this, and it pertains to calling the way, that, the way that John the Baptist was called, the way that we're all called. If God called, whatever, okay, whatever the calling is in your life, it could be something as small as talking to that person, having that conversation something as trivial and fun as being up on stage in a, in a musical when actually that musical was about the gospel and there were community people here uh, that Sunday that then heard the gospel through theater. So it was actually really not that, not that small and trivial. But it could be something as big as starting a new job, moving, right? Whatever your calling is, It's a tug, right? We all feel the tug, right? We all feel the tug of God saying, okay, this is, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I want you to do, right? But oftentimes, we tell ourselves, okay, I'm too young, right? I'm too old. I'm too poor. I'm too wealthy. I'm to whatever, insert excuse here, right? God would not call you if there was somebody else better for the job, right? If he wanted a different version of you, he would ask somebody else to do it. So whatever that tug is, He's calling you. It doesn't matter what you're telling yourself. I'm too, I'm too this. Oh, I'm not a good enough people person to be on the welcome team. I'm too blah, 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 blah. Well, no, if you're being called to do it by God and it is clear, then he's calling you to do it. Right? It doesn't matter if you think you're too young, too old, too poor. Right? All those things. That's my last tidbit I want to share with you. Um, and I will invite Jessica up. So, as you know, we did the, the musical Godspell, and somewhere along the line, Greg was like, and at the end, after we've done it, the next Sunday, we're going to do this thing where you, me, and Morgan are going to get up there and talk about it. Can you do that? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. And then slowly, I just got nervous. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to puke in front of everyone. 
I'm not. I didn't puke for service, so I don't think I'm going to do it now. <laughs> You'd think, you know, because I'm up there sometimes that I'd be used to it, but this is so different. Um, so, like, just going over what this is about and how I picked my song, um, I kept thinking I would pick a different song, but I couldn't find a different song because this one just kept blasting in my head because it's got kind of a catchy tune, and um, it made me kind of want to dance, and maybe it was the Holy Spirit, but this, I picked the song, We Beseech Thee, because overall, the play, what I saw in this play was God loves us. God came down to earth to be with us. He came down to teach us. He taught his disciples. He came down to teach us and to be with us and to love us and then express that ultimate love and that he gave his life for us so that he could spend eternity with us. That's an amazing amount of love. I'm not sure. I don't think anybody else could love that much. Um, So I'm going to start with a scripture and... It's going to be 1 John 4, 16 through 19. And it says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. God is love, and he loves us. I kept struggling with where to start in this song. I thought I could come up with some cool alliterative points or maybe a story that draws you all in. But I'm kind of simple, and I'm going to go with a simple start. I'm just going to read the lines and then expound upon them. It says first, Father, hear thy children's call. Humbly at thy feet we fall. Prodigals confessing all. We thy called have disobeyed, into paths of sin have strayed, and repentance have delayed. This song opens with the singer crying out to God to hear them, followed quickly by confession and repentance. This theme of crying out to God and um, followed by confession and repentance is kind of a mainstay of the Old Testament. The children of Israel were constantly having a need to cry out to God or having fallen into sin and crying out to God to hear them, confessing and repenting and asking God, please hear us, please save us. And that's what God does time and again. He hears us and he saves us. I find these themes most um, beautifully related in the Old Testament in the Psalms of King David. He was a deeply flawed individual, and God loved him so much, and he was so loved by God. And no matter what he did, he coming back in repentance, and God continued to forgive him, continued to love him. And something that really stood out to me is confession. I was in the first service, and they have a time of confession, which I always really enjoy when I go to the first service. I find it um, important to me. But why confess? Why, why would we do that? Why does God require us to confess? Because it is a requirement. He does tell us that we need to confess. And sometimes it doesn't make sense what God is asking us to do, at least in short term or human terms. Why is there a need to confess to God what he already knows? Why must we go through the litany of our sins out loud to God when he already knows what they are? But in the Bible, from a biblical perspective, there are some promises regarding confession Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, 
Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. God will give us mercy. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we turn that over to God, he will take it from us and he will purify us. He will make us clean and new. From my own experience, confession is a balm to the Spirit. And then once having confessed and repented and turning from those ways of sin, knowing we can know that we have absolution, that we have been forgiven. We know God has heard us when we confess, that he knows our deepest, darkest, dirtiest secrets, and he has forgiven us and found us lovable. I have often felt unlovable in my life, but I know that there is a great God out there and in here who finds me lovable and loves me no matter the circumstances. He's a light that will pull us through the darkness of our worst days. And if you haven't experienced this, or you have but need reminding, he will do this for all of you. He wants to do this for all of us. He wants to meet us there. He wants to save us. He wants to make us new and clean and pull us to him and love us. The next part says, oddly enough, come sing about love. Come sing about love that has caused us, that caused us first to be. Come sing about love that made the stone and tree. Come sing, come sing about love that draws us lovingly. We beseech thee, hear us. From the beginning of creation, God made everything in love. He created us. He created humanity in love. God desires to know us and love us. And he wants for us to know him and love him. In fact, we exist for this purpose to know God, to love him, to give our adoration to him. This is why we exist. This is our purpose here on earth. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He loved us before we were born. He loved us before we came into being. That is how much he loved us. He knew us then, and he loved us. He knew every sin we would commit, every bad thing we would do, and he loved us. The next part says, We come sick, we come to thee for cure. Guilty, we seek thy mercy, sure. Evil, we long to be made pure. We beseech thee, hear us. Blind, we pray that we may see. Bound, we pray to be made free. We pray for sanctity. We beseech thee, hear us. And when we, in honesty, come before God with our problems, with our ills, our woes, our things that we're entrenched in, he will be there for us. He will cure us. He will heal us. He will make us free because he loves us. And It kind of um, reminds me of the Apostle Paul because he will do these things for us, but we will still struggle. In the book of Romans in chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says, So I find this a lot work, although I want to do good, because we want to do good, why confess if we didn't want to do what's right? I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? 
Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. We will struggle. If Paul, who was one of the foremost writers of the New Testament, struggled with sin and struggled with who he was and getting there and doing the right thing, we will too. But even though Paul has received this amazing grace and redemption, he's struggling. But we have this God who loves us. And that's what brings me to the next portion of the thing. It says, Grant us hope from earth to rise and to strain with eager eyes towards the promised heavenly prize. We beseech thee, hear us. Because even though we will struggle, even though we will continue to have hard times in this life, we have a hope. We know that we will get to be in heaven with God because he sent his son to die on the cross for us and um, make us pure, bring us to a place where we are um, pure before the eyes of God. We know that we can have this hope of heaven, that we can be there with him. You know, because we're all sinners. We're living in a sinful, broken world, drenched in the injustice of sin, faced with a just God. And who, because he is just, he cannot overlook our sin, and he shouldn't, because there wouldn't be justice in that. If a just God overlooked injustice, it wouldn't be just. Um, But even though he's wrathful and angry over our sinfulness, he still loves us. He is heartbroken that he must mete out justice on the creation he loves. He knows justice must be served, but he cannot stand the thought of losing us. He loves us so much, he sends a replacement for us, his own son, Jesus Christ, who will cover all of our sins with his blood, who paid that price willingly by submitting to the Father and dying on the cross and being separated from his Father. He conquered hell and rose again on the third day. He accomplished salvation for us and gave us that hope of heaven that we have because he loves us. So I just want to close with one thing. God sees you. He knows you. He knows you deeply and intimately, and he loves you. God sees us. He knows us, and he loves us. Thank you, Jessica. Well, if Morgan chose the, word, the song with the least amount of words, I chose the song with the most and the fastest. All for the best. And it may seem a little obvious, too, that I would choose to reflect on the song that my daughter, Aurora, had a big part in the solo. So a bit of a proud dad moment in her accomplishment of singing that song. But also, I got to spend a lot of time with this song as we practiced it at home and in the car over and over and over again. I got pretty good at singing the different parts to help cue Aurora. And the more I sat with the song and the music overall, the more I began to appreciate the message of the musical and of this song. From the play overall, what I really appreciated, if you watch it from beginning to end, you see Jesus kind of step back as the disciples start to tell the stories. As the disciples start to engage in what Jesus has been teaching, and they begin to kind of take over with the parables, if you will. Until by the end, when the story of the prodigal son is being told, Jesus doesn't really say anything. It's his disciples and his, his followers who are the ones telling the story because they've internalized everything that Jesus has been saying. They're the ones who are able to communicate the message of the gospel because they've been listening to Jesus. Except for one, Judas. Now again, I don't know if it's appropriate enough that the one who wasn't listening was my daughter, She does a pretty good job of listening. She's a good kid. 
But Judas, it becomes very clear that he's not listening to Jesus. Judas has his own idea of what the Messiah is supposed to do, what's supposed to happen, what the Messiah should be, and what's supposed to be coming to fruition. And the play, Judas seems so focused on judgment and righting wrongs so that the right people are on top that he overlooks the whole idea of forgiveness that Jesus is trying to show. Judas continually inserts himself throughout the play with his own ideas, stepping on disciples' lines, saying, no, 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 this is not the end of the story, this is the end of the story. Trying to communicate what his idea is, rather than listening to what Jesus is trying to say. And in this song, All for the Best, you have it put on full display as Jesus on one side is singing what he's about. But then Judas steps up and starts to sing what he thinks the gospel is supposed to be about. You got two voices competing in the song, faster and faster, more frantic and louder, trying to get their message across as to what they want to be heard. <clears throat> so let's begin with Judas, and I felt it appropriate that since Aurora hung out with me, that she gets to say her Judas part of the song. So come on up. Obviously not as fast as you did it up there. No dancing, unless you want to. No, I don't want to dance. All right. So, slow. Here you go. Some men are born at ease, doing what they please. Richer than the bees are in honey. Never growing old, never feeling cold, pulling pots of gold out of thin air. The best in the town, best at shaking down, best at making mountains of money. They can't take it with them. What do they care? They get the set of the meat, cushions on their feet, houses on the street where it's sunny. Summer's at the sea, winter's warm and free, all of this, and we get the rest. But who is the land for, the sun and the sand for? You guessed, it's all for the best. So Judas is focused on like the here and now, the hope that he wants to see in the earth. Blessings now, riches now, putting things to right, right now. For Judas, the all for the best, it's the best things for the right people. The people who get it all right, the people who've had it right since the beginning, the people who deserve blessings. Not those guys over there, but us, the chosen people. We're the ones who deserve blessings. And I think in our world, we're confronted with this often at the frantic pace the world tries to tell us that you need things, you deserve blessings, you need bigger and better things, you need this. Without it, you're going to feel bad. If you don't vacation here, your family is going to be miserable. If you don't wear these clothes, you're going to look silly. If you don't drive this car, you'll never get where you want to. If you don't get this job, you're not, or into this school, you're going to be a failure and on and on and on. And like how the words of Judas are sung faster and more frantically, that's what the world is pressuring us with. Faster, faster, more frantic. And you just feel like you can't ever keep up. You're never going to attain this blessed state that the world says you need to have. And it's really easy, I think, for us to slip into this. Even in church, the idea of, well, if you just pray enough, if you just believe in God enough, if you just have enough faith, then everything's going to be fine. But that's not the case all the time. I want nice things. I would like a nice car, big TV, 
nice parking spot coming into Safeway. These are nice things, but we shouldn't perceive those as like, I'm more blessed if I receive those. We shouldn't perceive those blessings in other people as, well, they're just super blessed and I'm not. I wish I was like that. Or those people over there, they don't deserve blessings because they're not the right kind of people. This is the message that Judas keeps telling and is trying to get across in competition with what Jesus is saying. Blessings for the right people right now that look like this. But it's clear that Judas hasn't been listening to Jesus. When Jesus sings, it's a little bit slower. Jesus says, when you feel sad or under a curse, your life is bad, your prospects are worse. Your wife is crying, sighing, and your olive tree is dying. Temples are graying and teeth are decaying and credit is weighing your purse. Your mood and your robe are both a deep blue. You'd bet that Job had nothing on you. But don't forget that when you get to heaven, you'll be blessed. Yes, it's all for the best. Even when we were practicing this song and I'm trying to hear the words of Jesus so I can help cue Aurora, it's hard. Because Judas is singing so fast and so frantically over what Jesus is saying, it's hard to hear his words sometimes. But Jesus' words in the song are basically beatitudes shrunk down to poetically fit into the song. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, he says in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are, the more, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Even in the scene where we get to hear the Beatitudes, at the very end, Judas rushes in with his own idea of what Jesus is supposed to be doing, how Jesus is supposed to be blessed. And it's this really funny kind of awkward scene of where Jesus takes Judas and is like, eh, did you know that I can read feet? He's like, wait, what? Yeah, like some people read tea leaves or whatever, but like I read feet. And he goes up to Judas's feet and says, look, your shoe says rejoice. Exactly. But Jesus, Jesus tries to redirect Judas away from his idea of blessing and telling them that no matter what your state is, and that's how he ends the Beatitudes, that you can rejoice for your reward is in heaven. Jesus wants us to see that the blessings or non-blessings that we think we have or don't have now aren't the true measure of blessedness in the kingdom of God. You can be troubled and have suffering now and still be considered blessed, Jesus says. In heaven, in God's kingdom to come, that's what he's saying, it's all for the best. Not for the best people, but that everything you're going through right now, whatever your situation is, it's all for the best. If you can listen to Jesus' voice and know what he's trying to say and know what he's calling you to do, Whatever your situation is, your reward in heaven, it's all for the best. When we train our ears to hear the voice of Jesus, you can be blessed in the midst of trials, chaos, and as the world is seemingly falling apart. We need to train our eyes to see the true signs of blessing, not those who have the most material things 
and money, but those who, like in the Beatitudes, are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness. Those are the people that will find the true blessings, Jesus says. And if we listen to the voice of Jesus, we can receive those blessings as well. Now, we had to kind of measure our expectations as to what a successful performance of Godspell was going to look like. We knew it wasn't going to be a blowout big Broadway production with lights, a moving stage, set changes, smoke machine. Probably wasn't going to be like anything you'd see at the Center for the Arts or the Nevada City Theater, professional actors, professional stagehands. This was going to be our production with our people. Whatever it was going to look like here at Sierra Press, it wasn't going to be those other things. It was going to be something unique. And I had to keep telling people that over and over and over again. Like, don't measure it against that out there. It's going to be something special. Now that it's all over, I have to confess that at one point, I thought it wasn't going to work. I thought it was all going to fall apart. Songs and lines would be forgotten. People would feel too stressed and potentially embarrassed to get up to perform in front of their friends, family members, and complete strangers. I wanted it to be successful. I wanted it to look like it had been blessed, probably with my own ideas of what that blessing was going to look like. What I needed to do was to listen to the voice of Jesus. Not just David being up here as being Jesus, but the real voice of Jesus. That he was going to use whatever we were offering to bless him. And that our reward wasn't going to be right in this moment necessarily, but in heaven, because we offered something for the glory of God. I needed to have faith that we were, what we were presenting sounded more like the Beatitudes than our own attitudes and egos. I needed to listen to Jesus through the frantic preparations and practices to see the light that he was going to shine in the end. To see the glory that ultimately, like Morgan said, that John the Baptist's responsibility was, was to not point to ourselves, but to point back to God. And that's my hope, that that's what we accomplished through God's spell. That we can celebrate everything that was done on the stage, but that's not the end of the story. That we can turn the attention and return everything back to God and what he's done for us. Come on, let's end with a little celebration this morning. Come on. And I searched the world But he couldn't fail me Oh, man's empty praise And treasures of faith Are never enough and Then you came along and you put me back together Now every desire is now satisfied Here in your love Come on, you guys know it on here, sing it out You know there's nothing